welcome to Womankind. I'm in an interesting position today that I have not been in before. I am laying on a table and my guest today, Francie Marzik, who is the owner and a physical therapist for The Real You PT, is going to be working on me as we go through this episode today. So this is going to be interesting. So I might sound a little funny because I'm, I'm flat on my back right now. Um, but hi, Francie. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So before we get into what, whatever is about to happen to me, <laughs> uh, why don't you tell my guests a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, do me a favor. Just give me an update on where you are physically so we okay. can start your treatment. So um, any aches and pains you want me to work on? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, you know, it's about 4.15 in the afternoon, so I, I work today, so usually at the end of the workday, there's a, a bit of tension in my, my shoulders and my neck, um, and then from exercising, I just have a little bit of a trigger point in my, I guess it would, I don't know what to call that, my shoulder blade, I guess would be the most accurate description. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really where I'm at right now. And you said a little low back, yes, perhaps? Yes, a, a little low back. Um, tension, I think, because walking has been my primary way of getting exercise lately. And this has been going on for how long? Um, I would say maybe two months. Okay. And you've done what kind of care for it? Um, some stretching, some a little bit of light yoga, um, but not really much beyond that. And you said a chiropractor? Oh yeah, a chiropractor, but that's mo that's been mainly for the, the trigger point. The trigger point. Yes. Okay, excellent. Yeah. All right. So, um, close your eyes for me. Okay. All right. So what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about you and tell me a little bit more about what you do. Okay. So about me, um, I'm a physical therapist through and through. I absolutely adore my job. And I didn't take the straightest path to get here. This is uh, my second career. I have four college degrees. A lot four? of craziness. <laughs> oh my God. We'll have to talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> a lot of craziness to get here. Um, I actually did more, what I consider more traditional PT for a long time. I was PT for about 14 years and then through a work accident, I actually became the patient for two years. Oh my gosh. And I was so broken that I didn't work for 16 months and nobody here knows me, but I am really high strung and me not working was not good for any of us. Oh um, so this was an accident that happened in like a PT situation? Yeah, yeah. I wow. was the therapist. It was a young child. She was five. She was autistic and decided she wasn't participating anymore. Okay. We were on a Swiss ball therapy ball, the vast distance of two feet off the ground. Um, we were going down, I held on to her, no protective response for myself. She walked away, I didn't. So. Oh my goodness. But in a perfect world, I would love to say that everything happens for a reason. And honestly, I am so happy <laughs> with my profession now. I don't know if I would redo it, but <laughs> this is the path that had to get me here. So it's all good. Well, I think, you know, being able to take the perspective of the patient, you know, not that that was a position anyone would want to be in, but I think, you know, helps create greater empathy as now the practitioner, right? Well, not only that, but I went through it all. I mean, what my patients did, I did. I had seven or eight PTs. I had five or six doctors. I had pain meds, seizure meds. They tried everything on me, um, muscle relaxants, um, 
eventually surgery and even the surgery didn't fix me so it was very interesting to um, go through that whole process um, and again after being a PT for 14 years now I was the patient and I didn't stay with any of the PTs a real long time I didn't stay with any of the doctors a real long time I had I had huge goals I wanted to be better and um, I couldn't get better and that was pretty frustrating Wow. So now the the major difference is, you know, your your own boss now, correct? So yeah, my practice is ginormous, me, myself, <laughs> and I. <laughs> I break all the rules. Um, I don't take insurance. I'm cash-based only. I don't see four patients at a time. I see one patient hands-on for one hour. Wow. And people get better. I don't think we touch each other enough anymore. Um, I think that our world has gotten too busy. I think insurance companies have way too much control over what happens. Um, and I, I couldn't make a living seeing a person for an hour. They don't pay those kind of rates. That's just not the way it works. Um, truly, I'm not supposed to touch more than one joint away. If you told me, you told me, you know, rhomboids here, if I'm pointing here, I can't work half your body. And that's just not what I find helps people. Um, and that's not what helped me. So after doing all of that, I actually ended up getting healed totally by accident. One year after my surgery, uh, maybe 11 months after my surgery, I was about to give up completely on being a PT. I had to go and I had to find a job somehow. Again, I have four degrees or something I should do. Um, sitting and laying down were not my friends. I had a really hard time with sitting. I had gotten to the point where I could survive a one hour um, seminar or something but not comfortably but I could survive it and it was hilarious because at this point I again was taking PT out of my elevator speech trying to find something else I could do I wasn't willing to give up my license if I had to give up my career I wasn't going to give up my license so after my uh, self-imposed one and a half year sabbatical I was short on continuing education credits and I was at risk of losing my license so I desperately needed to take some continuing education classes. So there was one in Buffalo. It was an hour and a half long. It was free, so there was no financial <laughs> risk. Oh, wow. And I don't even think I knew the topic. It was through the Catholic Health. I was working per diem for them as well as my full-time job. And I just went. I figured if I paced to the back of the room, crawled around on my chairs like I had been able to do for an hour, I could survive it. So I go to this. Um, continuing education class and there's an MD and a PT who were presenting and it looked like an area of PT I might be able to continue to do without any balance <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like oh my god I might be able to stay a PT so that was exciting to me then it's all sounding very familiar either I was turning into a hypochondriac or maybe this was the care I needed so right after the seminar, I went to the PT, asked if I could shadow her. I went to the MD. I would get an appointment. It was a resounding yes, yes from both. And I changed my, well, went back to PT. As now a pelvic floor physical therapist, I had found the pelvic floor. Wow. So that this is a different type of PT or a different it is. area It is. It's PT. only been our, in our practice act, our national organization, for a little over 10 years. Um, okay. Obviously, the research before that to make it part of our practice it, you know, was a little longer. But this is all new information, which is great. 
Um, buffaloes, again, behind the times. Wow, super tight right there. Yeah, that's, um, that's the spot. Yeah, I feel it too. <laughs> um, super, um, so we, I actually couldn't get any training in Buffalo. Um, I had to literally go around the country for the training. So Where I took, did you go? Like oh, what areas had it? Everywhere. Well, wherever I found one organization that I absolutely adored and I chased them and followed them everywhere <laughs> is what I did. So PTs only need 36 credit hours in three years to maintain their license. Mm -hmm. I took my first patient and my first class, well, my first class maybe November, December, and my first patient in January of 2015, so pretty recent, right? Mm -hmm. um, and since then, I've taken over 300 continuing education classes. Wow. Um, you again, went from being behind the times yeah. way ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I would go to these um, classes. Mm -hmm. I would feel better during the classes, not 100%, but better. I knew that things were changing in my own body, which was, you know, made me all in. Um, had a little skin in the game, obviously. <laughs> and, um, but I would come back, and by the time I got off the airplane, I was, you know, terrible again. So I was actually the longest person to heal um, because I couldn't treat myself. So it was an interesting ride to find different ways. I couldn't just do it the way everybody else did it. I had to change the methods, the way I moved for myself to protect my own body. I had to change everything. Um, but what's interesting is I did the straight pelvic floor for over a year. That's all I did. Um, I saw another guest on your show. Chris was saying that she pees her pants sometimes and she laughs. Or I don't know if you remember any <laughs> yes, of that, I conversation. Do remember that yeah. conversation. That is not normal. That is not what we should be doing. And that's, you know, but right now women just assume that that's the way it's supposed to be. And so I would, you know, market myself as uh, Francie Marzek, pelvic floor physical therapist and sexologist. And we talked about sex. And I mean, just, it was a really, it was really fun. It was really novel. It was awesome. But it was also very isolating. People didn't want to acknowledge that they had those problems um, and didn't want to come. But more than that, I don't think anybody thinks they're a pelvic floor patient. Did you ever heard about it before? People aren't self-diagnosing as that. I mean, I've definitely heard of the, the pelvic floor mm -hmm. and that heard that you should be doing exercises and different things. But I've never heard of, like, a professional, like... Mm -hmm saying that. I've and a lot of our doctors haven't it. either, unfortunately, right. so they're not referring out. I can't tell you how many patients I get from around the country. Um, people who have gone to the Cleveland Clinic and then are told, oh, find a pelvic floor PT and they come back and they find me. Oh, wow. um, I just started a 17-year-old boy. He found me from uh, Children's Hospital in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. Um, people go to Boston and they come back and find me. And People are seeking out help um, and, and finding me by accident right here in their own backyard. So wow. it's kind of interesting. Um, but I really don't market in public the pelvic floor like I used to. Again, people aren't self-diagnosing, so instead I'm looking for people who have back pain, migraines, headaches, hip pain, all of those regular things that develop eventually into pelvic floor. So even though they don't know they are a pelvic floor patient, those are the kind of precursors and the things that we can recognize that's going on and we are willing to talk about. And so what are the things that make someone a candidate for pelvic floor physical therapy? So again, I'm not truly just treating those anymore. For right. anybody who has pelvic pain, who has, um, I mean, for men it's erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation. Uh, for women it's peeing their pants when they sneeze, um, prolapse. Um, there's so many different pieces and parts of it. 
But what started happening is someone would come in and they would say, oh, this is hurting too. All right, well, let me play. And then I'd be out, and, well, what about this? Okay, let me play. Oh, you have migraines? Oh, let me play. Actually, the first person, it's a great story. I went to a, um, I was treating someone out in Derby. It was a 45-minute drive for me. <laughs> and um, she didn't have, she had a migraine and didn't have the wherewithal to call me to cancel. I showed up at her house, and she's like, and I can't treat her pelvic floor while she has a migraine. Right. So I'm like, let me play. <laughs> and... Within maybe a half hour, we had her migraine gone. And these were migraines that used to take her out for five days, like just used to wow. devastate her. And so that night, I was so excited. I was at a networking event, and this gentleman, I was chatting with him, like, oh, my God, I healed this woman's migraine today. And she goes, my wife has migraines. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, let me play. <laughs> so I went, and I fixed her migraine. I'm like, okay, let's add migraines to the list. But... Now, um, shoulders, I can't tell you how many shoulders I fix, um, hands, uh, obviously low back, hip, all of those things. So, again, if I'm, it's just, and then what happened was because it was harder to get patients with now, especially pelvic floor, they're not going out and talking about themselves to anybody else. So they're not referring at all. Oh, that's so, a good point. I didn't yeah, think that. yeah. So... I um, started treating my networking friends for free, you know, doing a one-on-one -on -one with them. But during my one-on-one -on -one time, I would treat them. And I started getting my hands on people who weren't broken, people who were, you know, would not have paid for PT, didn't realize they were even tight or had issues. And the changes I was able to do with regular people was just amazing. And as PTs, we always want to prevent. I mean, all of us, we just love the idea of preventing. And this was so funny because I was finding all these smaller things early, and they weren't really as small. I mean, somebody would, you know, I'd work on their arm, and all of a sudden, oh, my God, I didn't know it could be that light. I didn't know I was walking through mud, or I didn't know I was so tight. So that was all very funny. Well, I do love, well, listeners, let me tell you what's going on right now. So right now, <laughs> Francie is lifting my neck. She's pushing down my shoulders. Um, it has like a bit of a, a massage feel to it, but it's also stretching. And Yeah, so massage is just kind of rubbing on the muscles in one particular direction. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like I massage. I know that, that a lot of people are related to massage, right. but I don't think that's what I do. Um, I do a lot of things with reflexes. I do a lot of things with the trigger points are fast. I'll do those initially. But I think what I'm searching for are tightness and restrictions. And whenever I find anything that's tight and restrict, restricting, I use your body to gain it back. Um, so I don't know. I have a really hard time putting into words what I do. I ask every patient I treat, what, what do you call this? <laughs> and usually they're like, I don't know. Um, people just don't really have words for it. And then I think about labeling it as just some te <laughs> technique, which I don't know. I'm not sure what to do. Well, I, I told, so my favorite reference is massage because I've looked like far and wide and the people that I go to generally incorporate other things yes. into it. So like yes. pressure point work and um, um, like yeah, a little bit of Reiki right. and yep, and like just some different techniques. And so... I feel like I rarely go to someone who just is doing like a straight standard massage. There are so many other things involved. And so I feel like this is a lot of different things yeah. involved. 
But so, of course, we haven't moved very far, though. All of it is really little. Right. We've barely moved outside of the, definitely not outside the realm of the microphone. Right. Yeah, so I'm just I'm laying here on the table <laughs> with my mouth right up to the microphone. So a question to something you said earlier. So, you know, I've been to, like, traditional PT, um, and... You, you know, you do, they do have like several people in the room at the same time. And so you said you meet with your clients for an hour one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one. That's pretty unique. Yeah. So cross your hands up. Okay. Am I, am I doing it? Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Yeah. So again, I break all the rules. Um, <laughs> can you imagine your biggest work project, whatever it is, doing it in 10 minute intervals three times a week? That's no. just not the way it works. Um, I think what I do is a ton of education. Um, I teach the people about their own body. I tease, I give them the owner's manual back to their own body. But a lot of us, it's like a vehicle to get us from point A to point B. And we're so, there's a technical term for it. We literally disassociate from our bodies, right? And we're so cerebral. We're all stuck with the next list and the next thing we have to do. And... We put more care into our cars half the time than we do into our bodies. I do appreciate, and I've been to a few practitioners that operate this way, um, namely a chiropractor and, and an acupuncturist, where, you know, instead of in, like, traditional medicine, they say, okay, tell me everything that's going on, not just the particular ailment that you came in for. Because, like you said, like, you know, someone might have a headache, and that's related somehow to, like, pelvic floor. Totally. So I love the, the holistic approach to medicine rather than treating just one particular area. It's so funny. I, I have tons of testimonials. They'll say, oh, my God, I went in for my back. She never touched my back. Or it's, it's I find it's rarely the spot where people think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the spot that's yelling at you, but can you imagine, you know, you cut your hand and you put a little band-aid on and then it bleeds through and then mm -hmm. you add a gauze pad and that bleeds through and then you add, you know, ace rapid or whatever it is. As you're doing all these things, those layers of protection go on higher and higher. I also think that in, in our modern world, we're all so stressed out. Right? So mm -hmm. you can imagine, you know, my arm hanging straight down. That's a newborn baby. The nervous system is absolutely perfect and new and just great. Well, we're all American. We're all a little high strung. That kind of gives us a couple degrees. <laughs> and then, you know, our life happens, right? And we get more and more. And then if you can imagine my arm up to like 90 degrees straight across, that's running from the lion. And when we run from the lion, do you think our body's doing any digestion? Mm -hmm. No. No. The blood literally leaves your gut. That's why when we swim, we get cramps, right? The body, the blood leaves your gut and goes to where it needs. It's ready to fight or flight. Um, do you think it's doing any healing, you know, little cuts or any kind of issues? You know, the body stops all that stuff. Do you think it's doing any sexual function? No, none of that stuff operates when we're in that, you know, running from the lion hive. Now, everything's a continuum, and I'm not saying everybody's running from the lion, but even if you're only halfway there, digestion is slower, healing is slower, so you twist that ankle, and your body protects, and then it doesn't get it all the way healed, because it was a slow healing, then you do something else, and your body protects again, and it protects, and it almost winds up, protects, 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 
and now it's all wound up and the body has no idea how to unwind it. And I almost feel like I unwind people. I know that's a strange description. I think that makes a lot of sense, though. Um, and the body, the body's amazing. I mean, how many times has your body healed itself? Hundreds of oh, thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes I think it just doesn't have that time to unwind and, and, protect, and protects too long. And I think the body's amazing. All The only error I think it does is it forgets to protect or forgets to unprotect. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. See, now I'm <laughs> blown away now. <laughs> now, let's talk particularly about how your, your practice helps women. Is there any... Are there any things that you see over and over again in your women patients? Um, I think women are trying to do it all. Um, I think a lot of times we don't stop to do any self-care. Um, and so I think that's hardest on a lot of us. I think we're just kind of stuck in our own bubbles and just working so hard, kind of running on that hamster wheel and not always taking care of ourselves. Um, I feel like a lot of women, um, how do you describe it? They, um, their thoughts are on their families and everybody else in their lives and you know they're kind of the last people they want to kind of help. I feel like I, I do better with women who are finally empty nesting that are now back to saying, okay, I'm now bored out of my mind <laughs> and now I can focus on myself and I wish so many of them wouldn't wait quite that long. Um, that if we could just have little things to do along the way, um, we'd all be so much healthy, healthier. And I think stress, I think stress, um, if I could teach everybody to breathe, how to drink water, how to sleep, I mean, so, my hands are magic, or my patients <laughs> say my hands are magic, and I, what I can do with my hands is amazing, but honestly, if I could teach people just some simple strategies, um, we could change the world. Everything gets worse with lack of sleep. Um, it doesn't matter if it's cognitive, it could be problem solving, I mean the research is all there. Diabetes, heart, you name it, everything is worse with lack of sleep. Um, sleep is something I'm not willing to sacrifice. No, smart girl, <laughs> smart girl. Do you know the rule of threes? What's that? So you can survive for three minutes without oxygen. Whoa. You can survive for three hours without shelter in the winter, you know, kind of craziness. You can th survive three days without water. You can survive three days without sleep. Now you're going to hit hallucinate and you won't maybe die after three days, but things won't be doing well. And you can survive three weeks without food. So wow. where should we be putting our time? <laughs> You know? Yeah. Oxygen is really pretty important. Water is really important. And sleep is really, really important. And we start cutting corners on any of those things, and our whole body doesn't function as well. And everybody thinks they know how to breathe. Everybody. I did a seminar yesterday, and I teased and said, I'm going to turn around. Raise your hand if you would never spend money or time on what was called the breathing seminar. <laughs> and I turn around and I come back and I'm like, all right, 
Anybody want to tell me how many people's hands are up? <laughs> More than half were up, you oh know. And they just, you know, and by the end of the seminar, they're like, oh my gosh, tell me more. You know, I, you know, <laughs> and it's so fun because, again, it's, we're autopilot, right? It, before I said breathe, you just breathed all day long. You know, mm -hmm. somebody else, something else in your brain that, you know, that lizard brain, that, you know, lower, you know, lower emotional part, instinctual part of your brain decided which muscles were going to breathe for you, how deep you were going to breathe, how often you were going to breathe. I mean, they made all of those decisions for you. And we can control our breathing anytime we want. Yeah, I've seen that pop up, like, you know, advertisements or people mentioning, like, breath work seminars. Totally. But I've never... Think about a yoga class. Have you ever been to a yoga yeah. class? Yeah. Okay, what's the last 10 minutes of any yoga class? I mean, breathing. So is that the, what totally. breath work is? Well, so I treat yoga teachers because, <laughs> you know, just because they know how to teach it doesn't mean they know all the concepts mm -hmm. of it. But what's interesting about that is what position are you in when you're breathing? Usually, like, kneeling. Really? Some of your classes? Wow. I've done, well, I've, the one that I do the most is, like, the Bikram class. Okay. And so that's, like, So a lot of the modern... Up yoga people are changing it but historically you would lay in the corpse pose very oh, okay. similar to how you're laying now interesting perfect spinal alignment ladies we're getting a facelift when we lay flat with no pillow just think mm -hmm. about it everything well you're too young to care <laughs> <laughs> but eventually we all don't we want things to be you know mm -hmm. in this direction it's an instant facelift for us perfect spinal alignment um, and this is the most restful. I mean, all those ancient Chinese, they knew. They have so much more knowledge um, than we give them credit for. And honestly, so the current yoga classes, literally the yoga people think they go there for 45 minutes of exercise. But the teachers put the 10 minutes at the end. And it's a, it's a marketing ploy, a great marketing ploy. Amazing marketing ploy. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But truly... The people think they're going there for exercise, and we pay someone to have us lay still for 10 minutes. <laughs> That's I got true. news for people. You can lay still wherever you want. <laughs> but in our crazy society, we don't lay still for 10 minutes. So a little um, tip. Before you go to bed, get rid of your pillow. Lay flat as you're starting to doze off and get the benefit of a 10-minute yoga class before you go to sleep. <laughs> Then set your alarm for 10 minutes before you're going to get up, hit the snooze bar, get rid of your pillow, lay straight and, you know, with your back straight, no pillow, head and arms down by your side, and it's amazing. Then when the snooze bar goes off, then you're done. And even if you are a snoozer, just putting yourself in that position. It straightens everything out. Yeah, you start the day just like you just finished a yoga class. Um, so what things did we not touch on? Like I, so I've been to PT and I feel like I'm learning so many things that I've never <laughs> even considered as part of it before. Um, I don't know. I, um, I have 100% faith in the human body. I believe there should be no pain and I believe most people can get out of pain and there's very few people that need to suffer. Um, have you ever heard of the nun study? No. So you're womankind. Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> there was a whole convent of nuns that donated their bodies to science. Oh my gosh. Maybe 80 of them. I can't remember the exact number. Wow. And so what was really cool is they uh, had every medical record. These women entered the nunnery around 20. 
So they had years and years, these women were now in their 70s or 80s, and they had years and years of documentation and medical records and all kinds of different things. And they also had essays that these women wrote as they joined the nunnery. So they kind of had an idea of who these women were. And they also volunteered to have autopsies after their death. So the women who had the fattest medical records and had the most complaints and the most issues, they didn't necessarily have the worst bodies on autopsies. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the most plaques, you know, signatures of Alzheimer's. They didn't even necessarily have the worst joints for arthritis. They didn't have, and it was, it's so interesting that we really can control much more than we think we can. Mm -hmm. For me, I feel like everybody's stuck in a tin can. Regular people, I'm tr touching so many more regular people now than I ever have in my whole career, and it's amazing. And everybody's tight. And it's so easy to fix and release. So imagine a muscle that's going across your elbow. If that's too tight, what's that gonna do to that joint? Can you imagine a mortar and pestle? Oh, jeez. <laughs> and if you press real hard, Yikes. that joint is getting a lot more aggravation than it needs to. That's an image I don't really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but when you release those muscles, everything feels better. It's so easy and fast. Um, and maybe what at the end, I'll do a different move on you and it'll release your legs. And it's so funny, I'll have you walk half done. And <laughs> okay. it's, it's so fun because you'll you'll get to feel it. And uh, just how tight you were where you didn't even know you were tight. I just assume that my whole body is tight. Well, there you go. Well, then you won't be, you won't be surprised. Most people are though, it's, it's crazy. So I think we'll start to head into the womanhood questions, but Francie, okay. tell my listeners if they're interested in becoming one of your clients, where can they find you? Um, it's easiest to call or text me. Okay. <laughs> um, my website is therealyouyoupt.com, um, and off of there is my phone number and everything. Um, it's a cell phone, so you can text to that number too. There is an email um, link on there. Um, anybody can reach me from the website. Amazing. So you could be in the position that I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> Getting my neck worked on right uh -huh. now. So is there anything about, well, the question that I always ask is, what's your story? So is there anything about you that we haven't learned that you would like to share with us? So the whole womankind kind of idea, um, this is my second career. Mm -hmm. um, my first career was in business. Mm -hmm. I was a financial analyst for five years, and I was the only woman in corporate banking who wasn't a secretary. Oh my goodness. And it was funny, when you were talking about women, I sometimes I think women can almost be meaner to women than men. Um, when I started my job the first time around, uh, I was making more than the secretaries ever would. The secretaries that had been there for 30 years. And you know, I walked in as this privileged college student and it wasn't my fault, <laughs> but oh boy, did they put me through the ringer. They did put me through the ringer much harder than my bosses or any of the men at the, um, at the bank. So it was kind of an interesting feel. Um, 
And at, during those times, you know, because I was the only woman in the organization, well, not the whole organization, but definitely that floor and that level. Um, so we have talked about this a bit on the show, and if you don't mind my asking, like, what time period was that? So I graduated with my second degree in 92. Oh, okay. So 92. So something that is interesting about that, and from what I've heard on the show, is I think competition and this myth, well, and maybe at the time it wasn't a myth, this myth of scarcity um, that I think it was perpetuated by men at that time is what, you know, pitted women against each other. I don't think the men were starting. <laughs> well, I mean, just, just yeah. by nature of yeah. the fact of, you know, as you saying you were the only one. Yeah. And then there's kind of this mentality of the fact like okay there is one so can there be two and I think the assumption is that the answer to that would have been no at the time and so I think that's that's something that yeah I don't know we've talked about that a lot on the show particularly about that time period yeah it was it was a challenge but it was also a challenge um so I was the financial analyst and I would go out with the lenders to um different companies and it was so funny. Sometimes it would be as simple as the our host would say, "Does your secretary want a cup of coffee?" Uh, talking about you. Oh my goodness. Standing right there, <laughs> like I wasn't um, capable of answering the question and assuming I was the secretary. But so, a lot of different things. Um, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am dozing again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very relaxed, listeners. Very relaxed. <laughs> So my, the womankind question that I ask every guest is, what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2020? I am so, maybe with age comes wisdom, but I am so happy with my life and my profession right now. Um, I love every moment of it. It's been miracles every day. So for me, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I went to school to, for, to be a business person. And I really felt like I needed to make it in a man's world. And then as soon as I made it, I didn't need to do that anymore. <laughs> and again, I switched to physical therapy, which when I joined was a lot of men. Um, I don't know what the ratio is now, but um, it was definitely not a woman uh, industry per se. But again, I feel like I needed to... I needed to make it in a man's world, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah, absolutely. And now that I have, and I can check that box, um, and grown as an individual, it doesn't matter anymore. Now I'm just happy to be me. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so what are your favorite parts of being a woman? Hmm. I don't know that I... I don't know that I think of myself as, per se, a woman or not a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if there's parts that I love or don't love. Um, I'm just happy in my own skin, if that makes any sense. It definitely does. Whatever skin that is, <laughs> there's no choices. You gotta <laughs> so. Well, then I won't ask my next question, which is, what are your least favorite parts? <laughs> if you haven't thought about it that yeah, much. Yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't really think about it that way. Um, mm -hmm. I have two boys. Uh, they're identical twins. They're 17. And um, 
you know, I want them to be respectful for women, but I want them to be respectful to everybody. I want them to be respectful to the elderly. I want them to be, you know, so I, w I would wonder what their thoughts would be, whether or not what they think about me, if they consider myself, me, a very uh, strong, I don't know what they would think. It's kind mm -hmm. of interesting. Oh, that might be a question to ask I them. I think I will have to. <laughs> <laughs> I spend my days asking teenagers questions, so I, yeah. I get it. <laughs> Oh yeah, the armpit is usually an area that's. Yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> what do you think society and the world maybe doesn't know about women that it should know or should have some awareness of? I don't know. I think I'm so stuck in my my therapy world and. Um, that's not things I contemplate. I don't know. I don't have good answers for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask, um, like, what changes you'd like to see for women in the future, but you might not have an answer for that one no, either. I don't know either. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, equality. And, um, I don't know. I, I very rarely, I, it's shocking every once in a while when you'll see blatant, um, sexism, but um, it's still out there, but I feel like it's so much less. I'm not sure. I mean, coming from where you came from in the business <laughs> world, that sounds why. like you're just <laughs> relieved to be in the position that you're in now. Oh, loving it. Relieved now, loving it. Yeah. It's, it's the path, again, it's not the straight, the straightest path, mm -hmm. but um, I'm the queen of efficiency. I mean, those business years taught me so much. I'm such a numbers person. Um, today is a different treat. You're not getting an actual treatment, um, but I'm all objective, data-driven, and, and sh showing changes. I asked you a little bit about who you mm -hmm. were when you were walked in, but every person that I treat, you know, we're going to go before and after, and they're going to know without a shadow of doubt how many things have changed on the spot, mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to document it like um, there's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. All right, so, um, Francie, which... Who are women that you admire or women that you find subversive? So when I saw this question in your questions, I didn't have anybody that pops into mind, which was kind of sad in my mind. <laughs> I felt like I should have. Um, so I really wanted to prepare for it a little bit more. And what was funny is I'm president of several groups, and I very often will have a quote at the end of the news. And what I've noticed is I use a lot of Eleanor Roosevelt's quotes. So when I was trying to think of someone that I want to research to figure out more about, her words have spoke to me so much that I'm like, all right, let's do some research on her. So of course I did a deep dive in a rabbit hole and watched uh, both of her documentaries. There's only two. Um, There's only how can there be only two? At least about only her? two that I could find oh online. <laughs> um, I bought five of her books. I just did a whole deep dive to find out more about her. Um, instead of just saying, you know, a woman that I love her words wasn't enough for me. And I am utterly amazed by her life. She, she was a Roosevelt. I don't know if you know that. She was, um, her father was uh, a younger brother of um, Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, okay. And so when she married FDR, she didn't have to change her name. Interesting. <laughs> they were fifth cousins. Okay. And um, so she grew up very young um, with her family, but her mother died when she was like eight years old. 
and her father followed like two years later. And so she actually moved and lived with her maternal grandmother for years until she kind of had her coming out later on. And she had a very uh, isolating, um, unhappy childhood. Um, her mother, her aunts, her grandmother, they were all beautiful, beautiful women. And she was not. Anybody who's ever seen a picture of yeah. her, she is, was not beautiful. And so in this family of beautiful women, she definitely noticed that she was not. And so did her family. And so she was definitely um, treated poorly, I think, because of her lack of beauty. She was tall for a woman, just lots of choice, things like that. But she ended up meeting her husband, and he cheated on her <laughs> pretty early in their marriage. And so she took on a lot of independence and grew as a woman very early. She actually didn't even want her husband to run for president. There's a quote, I won't get it exactly, but something like, I, would, I think I've heard this before. Yeah, I, I would rather um, divorce him than to lose my independence by having to be the first lady. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, so she took the role into something else. Um, how, do you know how long FDR was president? I do. I didn't know that this was, he yeah. was 12 years. Yeah, he was the only president to be elected to a fourth term. He didn't serve his whole fourth term, but so she was the first lady for the longest two and did a ton with it. But what was interesting is after he died, um, she thought her story was over. She thought that her time in the public life was going to be over, and that was the end for her. And she had created such a life, she um, decided she was going to have her own press corps, and not nearly as enough newspapers had, had any female reporters that could come, and so she's the reason why a lot of female reporters were hired, so every news organization could have a female reporter as part of her press corps. She would have um, press conferences and that kind of stuff. She also started writing a column um, for 27 years, I believe. She wrote six days a week, a oh 500 gosh. piece word column. That's incredible. The only week she missed was the week after her husband died. <laughs> and so after he died, she continued to write the column. And eight months later, Truman tapped her as to be one of the women or one of the people, rather, who would go um, and set up the new United Nations. And so he tapped her to do that, but there were lots of people that went. While she was there, she made such an impression on all her colleagues. They named her, or she earned the right to be the chairman of the Human Rights Committee. And she just made such a name for herself. She's actually known more around the world. I mean, the, the U.S. knows her too, but she was actually, she's called the first lady of the world. And she was treated as royalty when she went to any other country. And she was such an independent woman. She traveled the world. Um, and she brought back all of these stories to write in her newspaper article. And they could be anything from child rearing to gardening, more women topics to, um, how other people were um, living their lives and what people needed help and all kinds of things. One of the funniest stories for her is like, she went to some sort of a community event and because the city had segregation, the blacks sat on one side and she sat on the other side. 
or they, the white sat on the other side, and she went and sat down apparently with an African-American woman and was chatting, and someone came up to her and said, you can't sit here. Rather than make a scene, she asked for a ruler. She got her ruler. She measured the space between the African-American side of the room and the white side of the room, and she put a chair right in the middle and sat right in the middle oh for the whole rest of the meeting. <laughs> Just, I mean, smart. Yeah. Um, and cared about regular, everyday people. She, she cared about people in other countries. She cared about any race, you name it. It, it was just people she cared about. She didn't, wasn't quite as vocal while her husband was president <laughs> in her article or anything else. But once she didn't have those restrictions, she, uh, she said her piece a little louder, a little bit more clear. She was always very honest. You feel that going? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, we've got to save some time at the end for you to talk about what you oh, feel. Yeah. So she was an amazing woman, and again, for to do that at that time. Anybody watch? Uh, or have you watched um, the marvelous Miss Maisel? I haven't watched it yet. I am so. Oh I gosh. need to. That's on my list for 2020. Yeah, it's that same time period, and so as I was researching everything about Eleanor Roosevelt, I could, was watching this Miss Maisel. Oh, and I've been to like get into it. <laughs> yeah, so it was very kind of that same time period, and um, just you know. Here, this woman was traveling the world, and most women couldn't even leave their little town. So she was just—that's so interesting. I, I feel like most of what I've heard about her was, like, you know, during her husband's presidency, and just like, you know, there's like the usual stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. But that's like so much more. I think she was officially part of the United Nations for five or six years until mm -hmm. the other party took over. But even once she was no longer part of the government to do that, yeah, you gotta work on this a little bit. Um, this position makes it a little hard for me to get there. Um, she worked as a volunteer mm -hmm. for like 10 years after that. Like she was so involved um, in so traveling cool. the world. Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't talked about her more on this show. Mm -hmm. So, Francie, can you tell my listeners a little bit about what you've been doing here for the past, how long has it been? The past 50 minutes? Um, I feel like I do a lot of reflexes. Okay. Um, I do a lot of um, just unique motions. Um, motion is lotion. And I think that there's so many times that our big muscles get to participate and a lot of the little muscles are just kind of left on a sabbatical <laughs> and not really moving. So if you can imagine a muscle that's not called on very often, how much blood is that muscle asking for? Right? How much garbage disposal does that muscle get? And they tend to get angry. And I think that so much, many of our muscles are on all the time. Those steel rods we were feeling in here, mm -hmm. they're on. Can you imagine a little girl with CP and her arms all tight? Mm -hmm. That's not available to her. Mm -hmm. And these weren't available to you either. So instead, your body has to work around those tight muscles. Interesting. So, oh, yeah, so this gets the blood flowing yeah, through the muscle. All right. Yeah. And um, it just opens up and it gives you... I think we're, we often work on autopilot. Um, you know, you're going to go get a glass. You're going to take that same movement pattern every time you go to get that glass. 
and we never go this way or that way. You know, we would never do anything different. We just tend to think about the way we walk. I could give you two full cups of coffee and you could walk all the way across your apartment without spilling a drop. And that gait pattern, how many muscles get to participate with that? Not very many because you're working more on staying stable. And the, our walk is all like that. that. Women don't want their purses hitting their butts as they walk. And we've all created these minimalistic motor patterns. And then we sit so much. <laughs> I know the sitting is really not great. And even if you go to the gym for an hour, one hour cannot counteract how many hours of sitting. So ideally, like, should we be moving all the time? Is that... So, the antidote? I always revert back to what did our ancestors do. Our ancestors didn't have chairs. They certainly didn't have recliners, and you want to go in a rabbit hole. These are the crazy things I research. No, the, I, I, I agree that I think about that too, but I'm like, I what did they do? Yeah. <laughs> like, what were they so doing? How long have couches been around? Any idea? Um, my guess would be under 100 years. So only 150 years, yeah. absolutely. And think about... Um, oh, I guess we're in 2020, yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, think about Lazy Boy's chairs. They were mm -hmm. for invalids. Mm -hmm. And now almost every one of our couches... Look at your couch right now. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, oh, we, we all want to have our, our feet up. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but our ancestors squatted, and our ancestors, you know, moved, and our ancestors went to sleep with the sun. Mm -hmm. Right? There was nothing, there was no other choices. What are the options? And so, oh, there we go. Oh, wow. Something <laughs> just a little crack in my wrist. Yeah. Um, so, this is funny that we're talking about this because the other night um, I watched a movie called Honeyland. And so, this is a Sundance winning movie um, and it's about beekeeping in Macedonia, um, which is a side note. I have a, a huge interest in beekeeping. Um, but in it, there is, it's about this woman and her mother and several other people that live in Macedonia, and they did exactly what you just said they did. They, um, you know, rise with the sun. They live in a hut where they don't have electricity. And, you know, there's a scene in the movie where it shows, like, during the winter, I'm like, they're, what are they doing? They just, they're just sitting there. Like, what, what, what do... What did people do when there wasn't what did they a do? million well, they things had a lot going more on in sex. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> there was no, you know, TVs in our room that so are distracting. Kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was also cold and there was nothing else well, to do. Well, that's the thing. I'm like, aren't these people, and I, this is like, you know, ignorant, I guess, the way that I'm phrasing it, but like, I'm like, aren't they just always uncomfortable? Like... I don't think they needed, knew any different. I mean, think about yeah. your dog or my dog, right? right? My dog just goes about his business. He goes outside. He doesn't care if he's out there. Mm -hmm. He just it, it just rolls with the punches. Mm -hmm. And I think that they didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't, you know, they just dressed when they needed to. They worked hard. They did so much mobility. And I think, what do we do with kids, with kids at five years old? We put them in a seat. Right. Teach so, them how to sit. Yeah. So that by the I mean, time they get to me, they diaphragm. know how to sit. Yeah, we could talk about diaphragm all day long. I think it's one of the least used muscles in our whole body. And I can't tell you how many people I have to teach how to use their diaphragm. It's crazy. I didn't know the diaphragm was a muscle. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We could have a whole nother cup podcast <laughs> just on the diaphragm um, and breathing. But the pelvic floor podcast. Yeah, the no. diaphragm podcast. Yeah, no, we could go on. All kinds of rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, these kids, and even vision, I mean, think about vision, you know, um, they're stuck in these classrooms, the farthest they have to work is 20 feet away, and we wonder why everybody's wearing glasses. I mean, I said, if we have, like, an apocalypse or something, I'm just dead, because <laughs> I need glasses, I need my contacts, if I don't have that stuff, then I just can't survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or food. Can you, mm-hmm. How do you do food if you don't go to Wegmans? That's true. <laughs> I feel like I'm a, I have a better chance of that than being able to see planting oh. <laughs> a garden or something. Yeah. Well, all those skills are gone. I mean, we think about these primitive societies, and they've actually had scientists record the number of things that kids know at such an early age, and kids know what plants you could eat, and the knowledge base is so much higher in our ancestors than it is now. We feel like we're so much more intelligent now, but we know so little. So for me as a PT, I don't just study PT. I hate silos. I'm gonna learn from everything. I go to the massage, I'm stealing techniques, you know. I do whatever it is. I My kids go to vocal lessons. I'm talking, picking their brain, figuring out what's different about that. Um, I literally will learn from everyone. And it's so interesting, the more I go outside my silo, the more I learn. Mm-hmm. It's just utterly amazing. All right, I want to do one thing. Let's pause it okay. for a second then. Let me... Okay, and we're back. All right. Okay, so why does that seem like it's not as loud? Okay, here we go. Better? Yeah. All right, I'm going to take oh. your leg. That's okay. <laughs> Should you be able to move your fingers and not move your elbows and your shoulders? Wait, what do you mean? Can you move your fingers without moving your elbow and shoulders? Yes. Okay. So, should I be able to bend your knee and nothing here should move? Oh, I don't know. Should that be a thing? You tell me. What do you guess? Um, my guess would be I probably can't do it, but I probably should be able to do it. Should be able to. Okay, that, you know that was a question. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to bend your knee. Mm -hmm. Did you feel this pop up? Right there. Feel it move? Okay. Now, if I try and lift this leg, don't help me. If I try to lift this leg, it's pretty heavy. I can mix lift it up about two fingers off the mm-hmm. table. Feel how that's pretty heavy? Mm-hmm. Doesn't really want to go higher than that. Now I'm going to put some helium in here, Ooh. and I'm going to show you how tight this leg was. Now, your legs felt the same before I worked on you, right? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to have you walk halfway done. Okay. And you're going to be able to compare the two legs. One's going to feel like you're walking through mud, and the other leg is going to feel like you just filled it with helium. Well, I mean, I have a particularly tight psoas yes, on the left side, but not on the right side. We'll see. You're well, I'm really sure. tight today. Yeah. So, but we have one. Good. Okay. Roll over into your side for me. Okay. Slide your legs around. Push up. See that you saw in my abs. Okay. Okay, and walk for me and tell me which leg feels tight. Well, my leg that normally feels tight doesn't feel tight. Isn't that interesting? Because yeah. <laughs> that one always feels tight. Yeah. It was hard to release. Yeah. Yeah. But can you feel the difference yes. in the two legs? Like, yeah. Surprising. Like, did you have any idea? I knew because I've had an issue with there that particular one, but I didn't know. But it was the tight yeah. one that actually feels better now. Yes, Do exactly. you want me to even you out? Can you please? <laughs> Can you please? I love it. How do I? Okay, so, so yeah, if you go okay. that way, it'll be a little easier. Okay, so it looks like it's picking up some of the sound. Yeah, so. it might have some of it. We'll see. Okay, again, I if I, you're doing nothing, you're just going okay. to veg. <laughs> okay. Um, but this should not move. 
Okay. You get that, right? Yep. Now you'll understand so much more on this side because mm -hmm. now you know what to expect. Yep. Okay, so really watch this, right? So if I take, no, don't help me. Oh, sorry. So if I take this, did you see, mm -hmm. feel this pop up? Now, now, you're right, the other side was heavier, was tighter. Mm -hmm. So I could barely fit two fingers. This one, I might be able to fit four, right? But that's how it's, it's going to mm -hmm. go, right? Yeah, not higher than that. No. Okay, but this one does have more room, but still not mm -hmm. as much as we can get. So we're going to free, what you know, because you could feel the loose mm -hmm. one was tight, right? Well, I'm already feeling more release on this side because it's not as... Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's that's. I'm glad I chose that one by accident. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. One, two, three. Okay. So now I'm gonna relift this one. Four fingers. Oh wow. Two. Yeah. And that's what happened. <laughs> now you that's felt it amazing. walking. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. Okay. So now you're gonna roll over again. So we don't use your abs so much. Switch this way. Push up with that arm. And see if you're even now. Oh yeah, that feels good. <laughs> okay, so well, you need that, to... that one side has been so tight for okay, so long. Okay, so you need to tell this. <laughs> okay, all right. Am I laying back down? I don't know here? what are you doing. Okay, all right, guests. So I just had a quad release done. Um, I had a very particular tight left quad. I have a tight psoas muscle on that side. You knew um, this already. I knew but, that already, yeah. but I didn't know what was going to happen. So <laughs> Francie either. did the quad release, and the side that always feels super tight, like 24 hours a day, all the time, felt normal. And then the other side felt tight. So then she released that side, and now I feel like I'm even. How much, how much change did you feel on the first side? Um, it felt... So, like I said, it normally feels, like, anytime I'm walking, it just feels tight. Like, you feel, like, a little, not, like, pain, but just, like, a little pressure. Um, and so I didn't feel any of that. So that was completely gone. Crazy. A yeah. surprising change. Yeah. Like, I did from, that to From, like, a couple, like, not even a minute worth of work. <laughs> so. It's so easy to fix these things. I can't mm -hmm. even tell you. Now, granted, the body's huge. It takes me an hour. My goal is one mm -hmm. hour hands-on with a patient. I'm usually, I schedule an hour and a half apart. I usually mm -hmm. work it on longer than that. But I'm telling you, every person, almost every person, I can't say every person, um, they can, we can have changes. Body's amazing. It is. <laughs> I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. So, Francie, why don't you tell my listeners one more time where they can find you? Um, my website is therealyou.pt.com, and on it, uh, text me, call me, um, email. Everybody can reach me from my website. Amazing. So reach out to Francie if you're looking to have your body and your life changed. <laughs> um, and I'm your host, Kelsey Novitz. Like I said, I am speaking to you from a laying down position. I feel very relaxed at the end of this episode. I feel very free and light. You didn't light. talk about how your shoulders felt. Oh, too. that's right. I didn't talk about how my shoulders felt. So my shoulders now feel, you know, I said I had tension at the beginning of the episode. Now um, they feel a lot lighter. Um, my armpits are a problem area for me. They were like, like painfully tight. Um, and now I can like move my arms pretty freely. Um, so I'm feeling good. I also 
kind of almost fell asleep a couple times during this episode, so I'm going to have to go back and check that out and edit that. Um, but yeah, I feel great. So thank you so much, Francie. That was Thanks amazing. Thanks My pleasure. <laughs> if you guys are looking to get in touch with Womankind, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Womankind Podcast, through email at womankindpodcast at gmail.com, or on my website, www.womankindpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends.